This is the London Live Podcast. Listen live weekdays from 1 to 3 on 980 CFPL. Today, you know what we need to do? We need to talk about the fact that hopefully we're kind of inching more toward public transit and using public transit. We are not California. We do not love our cars enough, even though we love our cars. We do not love them enough to say, I am never taking public transit. I am only riding the highway, and I'm getting stuck in traffic all the way. Joining us right now is someone who can help us to do a little celebrating off the start of the show. Cheryl Ruth is a commissioner with London Transit Commission, and today is Transit Operator and Worker Appreciation Day. And there may not be anyone else in this city who does the job of promoting transit. Maybe Jesse Helmer would kind of be a a 1 and 1A in this, but the job of promoting transit like Cheryl. Cheryl, thank you for being here. Hey, Mike. Thanks for having me. Thank you for being a voice for public transit as well. It's my pleasure. So let's, let's kind of go to what it is that makes you as passionate as you are about promoting public transit, because this is not anything new. This was happening even before you were part of the London Transit Commission. So what is it that makes you that passionate? Well, it's my primary source of, of getting around the city. And when I travel, too, it's, I take transit wherever I go. And it's interesting how cities differ where you go to Toronto or Montreal or Halifax or Vancouver all of those cities really value their transit system and, and it's moving, you know, hundreds of thousands of people every day where they have to go. And there isn't the the same um, viewpoint, I think, on transit as there is in London. And I've been chipping away at that kind of stigma that, you know, only, you know, people who are impoverished take the take transit or people who have lost their license early take transit. And it's really been my passion uh, especially over the last uh, six and a half years or so being on the LTC, to make people understand that transit is for everyone. And whether you're on the bus or not, uh, a good, solid transit system really benefits an entire city. When you name off the cities right now that do make use of transit, and you don't think twice. You go to Toronto, you're hopping on the TTC. You're taking Go Transit. You're just doing that. You go to Montreal, you are taking the subway. Vancouver, you're taking the SkyTrain. That's just happening. Do you think as we grow bigger this is changing, or, or do you notice that the stigma is changing in any way? I have noticed. I'm so happy that you said that. I have noticed over the last couple of years as we talked about um, enhancing our system and we were seeing more um, interest in the government in, in um, giving funding for our infrastructure and really noting how important transit is. I'm seeing that stigma change and I'm seeing people take the bus that never took transit before or never had to. And, and you know, as our population ages, and people are choosing not to drive or just aren't able to drive as much, they're still going to need an affordable way to get around the city. And a good transit system is exactly what we need, and that's what we've been building over the last you know, decade or so. And uh, it's really coming to fruition. I'm really seeing a change in attitudes and um, access. When we talk about access in London... How do you find it? Because you're someone who takes transit a lot, so you experience many, you know, stops along the way, for lack of a better description. How do you find it works? Um, Well, it's like everything else. You have to know how the system works to really utilize it to your best advantage. So using Google Maps, we have Google Maps on all of our transit routes. We've added Express 
uh, routes, which make your travel much faster um, because you're not stopping so often. Um, but again, it's, you know, we're by far from perfect and we've got a long way to go. We've, we're making improvements every single year. Um, but for myself, as someone who uses this every single day that I have to go into my workplace, uh, it's great. I mean, I take the six, I work at Parkwood Hospital, the bus comes right to the front door. Right to the front <laughs> door. I have like 12 steps into the building. I don't get rained on. I don't walk through snow. It's fantastic. Um, and you're seeing, you know, more routes being accessible that way. We're right in the malls. We're right in the hospitals. We're you know, right past major developments. And as we get further into the industrial areas, we're going to see even more improvements. So um, the more you know how to work it and how to use the transfer system and, and use those express buses, the more people are going to see the benefits of it. Cheryl Ruth joining us, commissioner with the LTC, but a longtime proponent for public transit in this city. And Cheryl, today is Transit Operator and Worker Appreciation Day. We've had a lot of individuals in this city who have been doing the job that involves coming close to people in a pandemic, being in an enclosed area, and they have been doing it day after day with smiles on their faces. Can we take some time and, and applaud each and every one of those individuals and everybody behind the scenes, the mechanics and everybody who makes everything go in public transit? It's high time we do it, isn't it? It's, we absolutely do need to do that. I don't think people understand just how much pressure there is um, to keep an operation like this moving, you know, 18 hours a day, plus the off time, getting buses in shape, cleaned up, you know, and planning all of those routes, giving customer service that we're supposed to um, give. It's just, it's, it's really, really crucial. Well, Cheryl, thank you for your voice. Keep that voice going and have yourself an excellent day. I know you stayed out of the rain on the way into work. It looks like you'll be able to stay out of the rain on the way home. Sounds good. Thanks so much. Take Mike, care. And thanks. I think we lost Cheryl. Uh, Cheryl, thank you. Cheryl is a commissioner with the, the LTC. It is Transit Operator and Worker Appreciation Day. When the pandemic began, we were trying to figure out what our own next steps were. Washing of hands. Remember singing happy birthday twice. Is anybody still doing that? I get the feeling not as many people are singing happy birthday twice as they wash their hands. That was a big thing. Wearing masks, figuring out what social distancing, physical distancing was. These were all things that we went through. And then questions began to surface about, say, technology. How could technology protect us? Couldn't there be an app? There's always an app for that, right? Couldn't there be an app for COVID-19? Couldn't it warn you that you'd been in contact with somebody who has the virus? Well, yeah, there was an app for that. And it was created and it started to appear in other countries. And then other apps were created. And we started to knock on the doors of politicians saying, are we going to get one of these? We're going to get one of these. We getting an app. And yes, we were. And there was a company in BC that was putting one together, but that wasn't the one that governments in Canada were talking to. And then eventually it did come out. It was the COVID alert app, and there was a big news conference about it. And I still have it on my phone right here. Here it is. It's been sitting there, and once a month it gives me an update telling me you have not been in contact with anybody using the app that has COVID-19. Great. And I'm going to leave it there. I'm not taking it off, but I'm really wondering 
what it's doing. It, because the numbers don't seem to be anywhere near what they needed to be for this to matter. Joining us right now is Dr. Craig Jenny, who is an associate professor at the University of Calgary in the Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases. Dr. Jenny, how are things? Uh, they're good, and you? Well, I'm, I'm just calling up my COVID alert app again, just, just double-checking. Oh, look, no exposure detected. It says, I have not been near anyone who reported a COVID-19 diagnosis through this app. But it leaves me wondering just how many people are reporting a COVID-19 diagnosis through this app. Dr. Jenny, here we are, not a year later, but months later. What do you make of the COVID alert app? I, I think this was a, uh, a, a potential... Uh, tool we had, an important tool that was really left unfulfilled. So uh, unfortunately, this is what we need in today's society. I I think any person you talk to today cannot name the other individuals they had contact with throughout the course of the day. If anybody goes to get groceries, takes public transit, do you know the name and phone number of everybody that was on that bus with you? And if not, this is where uh, a device such as the COVID alert app would come in. We can't even recognize necessarily the people who we run into. You think, is that who I think it is? I'm not sure, because we're all wearing masks. We've had coats on in the cold weather. So, yeah, it's it's a little different. So, no, I think we can all safely say we cannot have the name and the phone number of everybody we went by at the grocery store. Do you have any idea what... (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Four days ago, yeah. Yeah, that's that's even harder. That that means we have to remember what we had for breakfast, and a lot of us have trouble doing that. So, absolutely. If if we're to look at maybe what happened here, do you have any theories on how this could have been done so that it it had more impact in our country? Because it seems to have had an impact in other countries. It did. These are other countries where you know there's a much better uptake of technology, much better participation. But, but I don't think that's limited to the app. I think in these other countries, we had seen just tighter conformity to health guidelines. We, we see fewer vocal groups that, that seem to uh, you know, raise distrust or doubt or confusion about recommendations. We had a scenario in Canada where not all provinces were on board, and, and to this day, not all provinces are still on board. Um, with the the COVID alert app, which I think creates confusion and raises doubts and and gets people questioning efficacy. Um, I think there's a lot of little things that that all added up led to really a a disappointing use of what could have been a very important tool if we want to keep restaurants open, if we want to keep stores open, if we did not want to go through a lockdown at Christmas. This was one of the tools that could have significantly increased our odds of avoiding those restrictions. Dr. Craig Jenny joining us, Associate Professor at the University of Calgary in the Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases. Dr. Jenny, for this to be a significant tool, what percentage of the population did we need to have download the app and make use of it? I don't, I don't know if we could put a, a hard number on it. The, we need the vast majority of people. You can imagine that even if you have a room of, of, of 20 people and 19 people have the app, if that, that 20th person happens to be the one infected person, nobody in that room gets alerted. 
So really, we need the vast majority of people to have this, to have it active, and to participate. We've heard stories of people that do test positive and then do not upload that information into their app to send out the alert to the people they may have had contact with. So problems there, again, even uh, almost, as you pointed out, not quite, but almost a year into it, we still have two provinces that are not partaking in the national app. And given that there is a lot of domestic travel again, people flying from Ontario to Alberta, you know, if you have the app from Ontario, it will not talk to the provincial health authority here and vice versa. Our app will not talk to the national app. So lots of problems. And again, just a missed opportunity. Dr. Jenny, is it too late? Because, I mean, we do have variants of concern. We know that. Could we have another campaign and say, come on, let's let's really give it a go this time? Or is it not worth doing that, in your opinion? Uh, no, I think it's absolutely worth it. I think, unfortunately, we are seeing in, in a number of places a, a significant increase in cases again. It seems, at least in, in some cities, some regions, we might see cases outpace vaccination, so we may end up looking at further restrictions. We hope not. I mean, we can still turn this around. We can still flatten those growth curves, but it requires sort of every tool in the drawer being used, and one of them are these apps. So even if we can't get national uptake, if we can get significant regional uptake, if, for example, southern Ontario can can get the majority of people on it, that can do a fantastic job of trying to flatten that curve and preserve the, the, the things that are slowly reopening now and prevent a step back in closures again. Dr. Craig Jenny joining us, Associate Professor at the University of Calgary in the Department of Microbiology, Immunology and Infectious Diseases. Dr. Jenny, before we go away from the app, what is catching your attention? What are you finding yourself following these days? Right now, for me, the most concerning uh, aspect is the growth of these variants. So not that these are, are, are significantly worse than the other uh, versions of, of COVID, but it's going fast, and, and we're seeing cases tick back up in areas that still have restrictions. So the fear really becomes as restrictions continue to ease, variants go up, are we going to see a, an even more rapid growth in cases than we saw, for example, in the fall and early winter? We need to avoid that at all costs. Dr. Jenny, we really appreciate your time today. Thank you, and keep safe. You too. Take care. That is Dr. Craig Jenny, Associate Professor at the University of Calgary in the Department of Microbiology, Immunology, and Infectious Diseases. And, you know, think about the issues that existed with this app coming out. We do have this aura of, wait a minute, you want me to do what? Why do you want me to do that? And it's so strange. I don't know where this has come from because we have lived in a very free and democratic society for a long, long time in the places that we're standing right now. And so to have the government say, here, we want you to download this app and have that initial, why? What do you want to know? And that did exist. Why did that exist? You know, we are free and willing to give all kinds of information online or on Facebook. Yeah, you, you want to know what I think of this or this? Or you want my name and credit card number? You want my address so that you can ship me some new jeans? No problem. Here you go. Do you know who you're sending that to? I don't know, but look at the price. Jeans, $14. That's incredible. They can have my name and address and credit card number. They're giving me jeans for $14. Well, 
the government's giving you a free app for free that will, if everybody downloads it onto a smartphone, and granted, not everybody has the smartphone that will will be able to run the app. We knew that from the outset. But the majority of smartphones right now will be able to do that. So why were we so willing and able to give that information for the $14 jeans and not the information, or at least even worry about information, even though I don't know how many people we talked to who said, no, it's encrypted. It's fine. They can't touch anything. It's it's a series of numbers. They have no idea who you are. They don't care. They want you to have this app so that if we get enough people downloading the app, and it doesn't make your battery drain, it doesn't make your phone run slow, it doesn't. I've had it for a year. I noticed nothing different on my phone. My phone behaves the same as it did a year ago or eight months ago or however long I've had it. And so we were told that again and again and again, and yet you're still willing to say, wait a minute, what do they want? Oh, Facebook? Yeah, no problem. Here's where I'm going to be on Saturday. There you go. I don't get the correlation there. I really struggle with it. And the fact that, take a look at whether it's under 20%, or some will even say for a period of time it was under 10%, and Dr. Jenny made a great point. It doesn't matter what the percentage is necessarily. You need everybody to have it. Well, why are other countries having more success? Why were they able to use their phones to gain access to things? Because they have that proof. Yeah, I don't have this. I haven't been in contact with anybody. Boop, there's my phone. Why Why do we lag behind that? Where does the mistrust come from? Because we've lived in a free and democratic society Always in Canada, back to 1867, when we weren't talking about apps. I struggle to understand that. I really, Even still, I struggle to understand that. Other countries have been able to do it better simply by willingness. That's it, willingness. Why haven't we? It may be that time of year. Got a note from David earlier this week saying he was out for a walk and saw two skunks on the same walk. And he pointed out he didn't walk that far. Well, with that and another note that came in from Allison, it's time to talk skunks. If they're in our neighborhoods or they're in the woods behind your house, how do you keep them from saying, you know, I could live in the woods? That's okay. I could live under this log It seems to be breaking down, lots of bugs crawl through it, but, you know, over the hedge there, we've got a shed, and they have that garbage can, and the lid's always blowing off, and it's always tipping over in the wind. It's on wheels. Who puts garbage cans on wheels? I suppose it's easier to get them to the curb. Well, what do we do if a skunk decides the log in the woods? Nah, that's not for for them anymore they're moving the family closer to your house let's find out joining us right now is professor mike maris from fanshawe college who we call on for bugs and pests and rodents and other issues mike how have you been oh not too bad and yourself mike 
you know what? I'm I'm getting by. I don't see any skunks. I haven't smelled any skunks. It's almost hard these days. You walk around a neighborhood and you're not sure whether it's a skunk or whether someone is making use of the fact that marijuana is now legal. But if, in fact, we want to protect our properties from skunks, what do we want to make sure we're taking away? So you're absolutely right. The best way to prevent skunks um, is by moving things away. So uh, what you would want to make sure that you uh, move are their food sources. Um, so skunks are mainly uh, going to be omnivore. They're going to eat things that are easy to find because they're not very good at climbing. So anything, any kind of food source that's already on the ground is going to be an I- ideal uh, food source for a skunk. So that could range from... Uh, grubs in your lawn that you really can't do too much about without treating the lawn to uh, things like garbage pails that are getting ripped open by raccoons and then being knocked on the ground. Um, Another very common uh, food source for skunks would be uh, bird feeders Uh, because as we've talked about before, bird feeders don't just feed birds, they also feed all the other animals when the birds uh, knock the seeds onto the ground. Okay, so take stuff away from the ground, because they're looking for food sources, obviously, first. What about shelter and things? What are they looking for in terms of shelter? Do they care? Um, absolutely they care. They're, they're kind of picky, right? Um, skunks spend a lot of time inside their dens, uh, and that's where they, they raise their young. Um, so the mother will stay in there for about four to six weeks uh, nursing the babies, and that usually happens in April, May, June timeframe. Um, so they want to make sure that they're well set up in order to uh, spend that amount of time inside the den. So what they're going to be looking for are places that are quiet, um, kind of low traffic areas. And, and if they can have a dark area um, where they can build their, dig their den, they're really going to enjoy that. So the best way to prevent that from happening is um, a little bit of prevention as well. So if you're setting up to build a new shed or, or something like that, instead of just putting it right on the ground, uh, dig down about a foot, maybe a foot and a half, and actually put in some, some wire down there um, just to prevent skunks as they're starting to dig. You know, if they're digging and they're running into this wire, eventually they'll give up and they'll go somewhere else. You know, I, I used to, uh, back when I was doing pest control, I used to say, you don't have to make your house perfect. You just have to make it less inviting than the neighbor's. <laughs> you know, and we can laugh at that, but you talk to anybody who's a security expert and they will say, yeah, it's not about you being able to make your house completely burglar proof. It's about it being harder to break into than somebody else's on your street. Yeah, exactly. Well, as as morbid a thought as that maybe is, hey, you know, we uh, we ultimately get to the point where would you like to deal with the skunk or the burglar or would you not like to? So a little bit of wire, make them not like digging, things like that in order to uh, to get them to move along. If they do happen to get in, Professor Maris, what do you recommend we do so that you help them to get out? Is it time to call pest control immediately, or is this something that we can do it yourself? So it, it is possible to get rid of skunks yourself um, if you're using uh, traps that are specifically designed for that. Most of your, your um, animal traps are just going to have wire on them, um, and the skunk can still see you and spray you as you approach that trap. They do make... Um, they do make traps that are specifically for skunks that are solid on the sides. 
Um, however, that's you're going to have an issue of, of trying to draw the skunk into that location, right? I mean, you're going to have to put some food in that trap that is going to have to attract the skunk at, um, more than its other usual food source. And you're really going to have to do a good job of it to convince the skunk to actually go into a strange place like that trap. So usually what pest control companies will do, uh, wildlife control companies, usually what they'll do is um, some kind of exclusion. They may put on one-way doors on uh, where they think the den is, um, allowing the skunk and the, the young, um, once they're old enough to actually leave, uh, but the one-way door doesn't allow them back in. And then typically what you'll see is they'll dig down a trench, if possible, around that uh, den location, and they'll install some of this wire mesh uh, to keep the skunks from going back in. Other more elaborate systems that you can see is, is some companies will offer um, deodorization of the den to uh, prevent other skunks from wanting to move in there things like that. But generally speaking, once you've got that wire mesh in there, in most cases, that's going to be enough to deter that that skunk that was currently living there and others from, from uh, making an, a den in that area. Great tips. We're talking with Professor Mike Maris from Fanshawe College about skunks in the area. So making sure they don't pick your property as being one where they want to hang out. And then if they do hang out there, it is possible to do it yourself and get them to move along to somewhere else. Uh, Professor Maris, before we let you go, it is the spring. What does the spring tend to mean? I mean, you always think when... When we turn from fall to winter, you've got to keep rodents from getting into your house. Are they still looking to get into the house, or are they fine with the warming weather being outside? Um, so usually what, what people find with rodents um, in the spring months, as it starts to warm up, the rodents, generally speaking, still will live inside the walls of the home or wherever they've been living over the winter, uh, but they'll actually just feed outside because it's, it's warmer outside and the food sources are more available. Um, so generally speaking, people still have those rodents in their homes, inside the walls, under the crawl space, wherever they might be. Um, but because they're not coming into the home to feed, uh, but rather feeding outdoors, they don't notice them as much. Um, so I guess it would kind of be up to each individual person to determine what their level of comfort is with that and, and whatnot. But, uh, as far as skunks go, um, in the spring, you're going to see them, uh, February and March, kind of doing their, their mating rituals. Uh, most skunks are born in April or May. Uh, like I said, they nurse for about um, six weeks, so four or six weeks. So generally speaking, around July, uh, June, July, August, that's when you're going to start seeing the babies out and around. Um, and, of course, we know what happens with, with mother animals uh, when their babies are threatened, and you don't want to be on the other end of that spray. And... Is it true that skunks don't have very good eyesight, and that maybe is why I've heard the old theory that a cat is less likely to be sprayed by a skunk because a cat will approach the skunk slowly, whereas a dog will go rah, 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 and run at it? Uh, that is, I, from everything I've read and everything that I've experienced, that is true. Um, they definitely can, can still see, um, but generally speaking, they see by shape. Um, so when I was uh, doing pest control, if I had captured a skunk um, in a raccoon trap, for example, uh, that didn't have those solid sides on it, um, what I would do is carry a blanket in front of me or a tarp um, 
And then that way the skunk would see the shape of a blanket or a tarp approaching as opposed to a human shape and, and get excited and spray. Uh, as I found out from experience, that doesn't work if the sun is at your back and is casting a shadow of a human shape <laughs> on the tarp. So just be careful when you're doing it yourself um, when it comes to skunks, because obviously that smell is, is pretty difficult to get rid of. So as a final question then, have you been sprayed by a skunk? <laughs> Once. Once, and I would like to keep it that way. And how long did it take before you no longer smelled the skunk smell in your nose? How many years? So it's, it's kind of funny, actually. For, for you, the individual, you get, you get accustomed to that smell pretty quickly. It's everybody else who comes around to you who smells it for weeks and <laughs> reminds you that you were sprayed by a skunk. So. Oh, man. Well, hey, Professor Maris, we always appreciate you coming on and talking critters with us today. It was skunks. Thanks for the time, and please keep safe and uh, skunk spray free. Oh, thanks, Mike. Thanks for having me on, and looking forward to talking to you soon. Sounds good. That's Professor Mike Maris from Fanshawe College. One time, and you get you get used to it. It's true. Think about any kind of smell anywhere. You know, you can sit around, and if you've cooked with garlic all day, you won't notice it. Somebody will walk into the house and go, "Whoa, what have you been cooking? Smells great." You don't even smell it anymore. I guess same with skunk smell too. You've been listening to the London Live Podcast. Catch the show live on weekdays from 1 to 3.